Hello and welcome to another episode of Below the Fold. This is episode eight in season five. I'm sitting here with Brandon Hassler. What's up? What's up, man? Not much. <laughs> and today's guest is Kenny Payne, CRO of Agility Media. What's up, man? How you guys doing? Good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming on. Okay, so uh, this episode, we're going to be talking about programmatic media. Uh, I, I, is there any other way to say it? I mean, it's programmatic advertising. You got it. Uh, cool. Uh, but before we do, let's, uh, let's get started. Okay, Kenny, uh, before we really dive in, I, I, I should say we are recording at the Stone Sheba in downtown Provo. If you are a creator and you need a creative space to get your stuff out there, look them up, thestonesheba.com. Okay, Kenny, give us a little intro. Who are you? What do you do? Who do you work for? Why, 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 why would we care about that? <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, I'm Kenny Payne. I'm founder and CRO of Agility Digital. Um, we're a programmatic marketing company. We have been in business for about three years. I've been in the programmatic space for about nine. What was pro programmatic like nine years ago? Oh gosh. I imagine uh, it's probably changed a lot since then. Quite a bit, yes. Um, still the same ecosystem, but um, yeah, there's uh, several new ad formats. Programmatic marketing um, started with banner ads on, on, pu on publisher websites that would follow you around. And now programmatic marketing has evolved into multiple ad formats, uh, video and audio, and all those other channels are, are now uh, auction-based uh, inventory as well. Do you think that we'll see similar amounts of change in the next nine years? Absolutely. Yeah? Cool. I want to get into that. Before we dive into the business side, I want to know more about you. What do you like to do? Like, I mean, you live in Utah. Do you, are you an outdoors guy? Like, who are you? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I love the outdoors. It definitely keeps me in Utah. Snowboarding. Um, I grew up skateboarding, not okay. much of a skateboarder really anymore, but, yeah. uh, it's kind of a, you know, hence the long hair, right? Yeah. 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 <laughs> so, so I also, I, I grew up skateboarding. Oh, cool. Uh, I haven't done it in a long time. Did you, uh, were you like Steve Caballero days? Oh yeah. The cab, Tony Hawk, you know, okay. uh, Andrew Reynolds, you know? Oh yeah. So pretty old school. Yeah. Okay. Cool. The, the good days of skate, you know, skateboarding. Right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We got out just in time. It sounds like, uh, so snowboarding, what's your favorite, uh, park where do you go uh brighton's my favorite resort um i kind of grew up right in brighton but i like you know really anywhere okay have you grown up in utah yeah i grew up in utah in uh, in bountiful okay so mm. davis county guy yeah where do you live now uh downtown salt lake so you so you were born in bountiful mm -hmm. and you made it less than 20 miles south oh yeah it was a, it was a, yeah it was a, <laughs> it was a, it was a trek have you been anywhere else I, yeah i've lived in uh, southern california and las vegas and Utah has this rubber band effect that just keeps pulling me back. Dude, that's crazy. I was born in Utah, moved to Southern California, moved to Las Vegas, went to high school in Las Vegas, and then came back to Utah. Wow. And we skateboard. Yeah. It's fantastic. Dude, we like guys might have person. known each other. <laughs> what and, part of Southern and, California? And we're digital marketers. That's right. The Inland Empire. Where? Inland, like the Inland Empire, the 909. Oh, um, I don't know that. Like Ontario. I, uh, uh, I was in uh, Orange County, Mission Viejo. Cool. Very cool. Yeah. And you were in Las Vegas proper? Yep. Okay. I was in Henderson, so <laughs> I, I guess it's not that close. Pretty cool. close. So Agility Media, 
uh, does uh, programmatic advertising. Uh, what uh, what does that even mean? So just to give you an idea, we've got a lot of entrepreneurs and small business owners, uh, likely with small budgets. Sure. For, for people who are like, what's this programmatic thing? Can you explain what programmatic marketing or programmatic advertising is? Absolutely. So everyone's internet experience is tailored to them. I don't think people quite realize that. So as you surf the web and pages load, um, there's tracking mechanisms inside your browser that have um, you know, tracked your, post be your, your uh, past behaviors and allow advertisers to serve you advertisements or, uh, you know, or for uh, pages to load dynamically. Those, those fun things called cookies. You Co mean, cookies, yeah. You talk about cookies and people cookies. think you're on the Sesame Street. Yep. <laughs> I say mechanism because, yeah, it's, uh, it's cross-device now, right? So people are pairing cookies with device ID because we're now in this mobile world as well. So, um, yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, the, you know, everyone's you know, online experience is just tailored to, their, to, to them. And I don't think people quite realize that. So the ads that pop up on the sides of the, you know, a page um, are based on where you've been. You know, the most simplest form is, is retargeting and remarketing. I think every company does that. It's kind of a me too tactic in our space. Yeah. And <laughs> me too tactic, yeah. <laughs> so uh, this, is, this is like those times when people are on a website or on their Gmail account or whatever, and the ads pop up that make them feel like they're being stalked by s some weird thing out on the internet, and they're like, this is weird. Yep. It's programmatic. Like advertising. I get, yeah, I just saw those shoes just a minute ago on that website. Yeah. And why are, are these shoes in this ad? That's right. Yeah. Okay. So, well, so I guess my ahead. question is right now when people think like uh, I have a budget, I got to spend some money on ads. I would imagine the two biggest platforms are Facebook ads. Uh, you have Google ads. Is are, are those platforms or those types of advertising like a form of programmatic advertising or is programmatic separate from what you're doing on Facebook ads or, or Google ads? It could be considered a form of programmatic advertising, but you know the Facebook and LinkedIn and Google's of the world are, are, are walled gardens, right? You've got to play mm -hmm. within their rules to utilize their first party information. Um, programmatic advertising is largely the rest of the internet, the touch points in between those major platforms. Gotcha, okay. And so are you working like, Jacob sets up a website where he's showing uh, DIY pallet projects. I don't know, something like that. And he's like, all right, I'm ready to make some money. Usually the common way is, I mean, Google, I would imagine, also has kind of like a big hold on the AdSense market. So he goes and grabs their snippet. Does programmatic advertising work with like existing platforms like Google uh, AdWords? Or sorry, not AdWords, AdSense, where publishers can get paid? Or like, like for someone with agility, which is your company, do they have to use like an agility code to run for, for agility to run ads on their website? That might've been very complicated the way I worded that, but our, yeah, we have a tracking tag that talks to the, to the ad exchanges. Mm -hmm. so they have to use our tag in order for us to, you know, deploy okay. and manage and optimize the campaign and exchanges. That's like another, that's like a, a Google AdSense type thing or another yeah. company that has that. And you work with multiple, Exactly. Like AdSense is a technology owned by Google that allows publishers to serve yeah. ads and track and get paid and all that kind of stuff. Okay. So uh, this still seems a little complicated. I'm going to try to figure out a way to, to explain it like I'm five. Well, yeah, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like we're talking that about doesn't work, well, cryptocurrency now. Yeah, it does feel that way. So what, uh, f what platforms are, uh, do you typically use like to a client comes to you? What platforms are you on to, to take care of their needs. Sure, um, there's several platforms and exchanges. There's uh, um, the Trade Desk and Simplify and Media Math and a bunch of different uh, exchanges. They're called DSPs, a demand side platform. 
So are, are, are the clients that come to you usually coming saying, hey, I need programmatic? Or are you, do you have a sales team that's like, hey, you need programmatic? Yeah, sure. Agility is a programmatic only shop. So we specialize in one thing. It's a very complex ecosystem. So that's all we do. A lot of agencies are going to, you know, you know, run your email campaigns and build your social pages yeah. and manage your AdWords and your affiliate program. And we're just going to just do this one thing and do it really well because it's very complex. Yeah. And there's uh, there's millions of publishers on the on the on the exchanges and uh, you know places to um, you know place in ads. Yeah, is it is it uh, is it similar to AdWords or Google Ads in that it's an auction? Exactly, it is the highest bidder. So so basically, th these are ad platforms where people can go, and the programmatic part is just another word for automation. Is that right? Exactly. So publishers go out and sell inventory. A publisher is a website. Let's take a, a Utah-based website that everyone's going to know, KSL.com. So okay. KSL goes out and they sell all their inventory direct first, or they try to, whatever inventory is remnant, they can then push to the open ad exchange, and that's what we bid on. I hate the word remnant inventory, because a lot of inventory now is just going programmatic only, or publishers are going towards that programmatic only mindset, so. Okay, and uh, what are some of the other, who are your competitors? Sure, um, lots of other agencies, um, Adroll, Critio, Steelhouse, some of those um, programmatic platforms. What about like Finch? Finch is a, um, a PPC automation tool, so it's not a competitor at all. Um, do they do any programmatic? They do actually, yep. Okay, and uh, have you heard of a company, this may be closer to the uh, Finch, but Quantic Mind? I have not. Oh, okay. Okay, and uh, so, so tell us how, how people are currently using programmatic and uh, things they're doing wrong. Sure. Um, well, the most obvious thing is people are trying to quantify programmatic through clicks. Everyone has this really uh, uh, click mindset and programmatic is, is it's a visual, it's banner ads, it's display. And so very few people actually click on banner ads. In fact, it's like less than 16% of people will ever even click on a banner ad period. Mm -hmm. Um, so, and they, you know, these clickers are like video game kids and like housewives from the Midwest. And they're just, just this segment of people that just aren't necessarily buyers. Right. So people are trying to target clickers and earn clicks and not actually just create a good advertising experience and drive actions. And so, um, yeah, so having a click centric mindset and programmatic is, is a terrible way to optimize a campaign. Um, technologies that optimize for clicks. They'll profile users that have past click behaviors, and if those users end up in your campaign pools, the technology will weight the, um, the ads towards people that are, have a higher propensity to click rather than people that have a higher propensity to buy. Okay, interesting. So yeah, click optimization is, is probably the largest problem. And then another thing is, uh, is attribution, is like last click or last touch attribution. Um, where you know everything begins and ends in a Google search, and people try and like look at display in a silo like that. When in all reality, it's 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 a, it's a touch point in between the, the Google search. Sorry, so you're saying last touch is bad, terrible. So are you are, are you an advocate for what like multi touch attribution? Yeah, multi touch attribution. <laughs> okay, so let me go back to the first the first issue that you brought up, which was optimizing for clicks. Please. So if someone is optimizing for clicks, you say that the, the programs out there are targeting people who have a propensity to click and not to buy. 
what's what what are the other alternatives to cl- to click like if someone's out there and they're like oh crap i'm optimizing to click sure what what are their other options sure yeah so um clicks kind of create this this reach dilemma this optimization dilemma and then the alternative to that is 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 post impression and view through um, which means you're going to take um attribution for an action um where an ad was present but not actually clicked on so if i serve you an ad and then you come back to my website and convert and purchase something um you know organically or whatever um that's gonna be like a post impression conversion and so with post impression conversions there's a lot of dilemmas there because of uh, uh, uh there's a lot of bad actors in the, in the ecosystem um you know ads can load below the fold or they can be stacked and layered on top of each other there's a lot of you know, publishers that just are bad actors and so actually you know tying a viewable impression back to an action is can be difficult too to measure that so would you say pr- like programmatic advertising is more of like a branding play since i mean most people are not clicking on the on the banner ads i mean like like youtube videos for example or, or youtube pre-roll most people running YouTube ads know that people are probably not going to actually click in the video. They're going to watch the ad and then go on about their day and whatever, but they're doing it as a branding play. Like we just want people to know Geico and then that's it. And then we know that we're not going to get clicks. Would you say programmatic is similar to where it's, it's about more of like designing a good banner ad and placing it in the right places. And you're not really tracking it off how many people clicked it and how many sales we're getting. We're just purchasing. We want 5,000 views and that's, Sure. It's branding. Would you say it's more of that or am I kind of, or is there more to the sure. picture well, than that? Um, my opinion is, is there's no such thing as direct response and it's a string of actions um, that actually like drive what you're ultimately trying to do or, or, or you know, ads. Um, but you can um, deploy a programmatic campaign to influence any part of the conversion funnel. Um, you know, so what we do initially when we are launching an ad campaign is just do a needs analysis and figure out at what point, you know, um, does the, does the advertiser need help, you know, Mm -hmm. um, influencing or, or, you know, yeah. Like in what part of the funnel are you supposed to be at? Yeah. Brand brand awareness or consideration or, or or conversion. So another way we may go about answering the same question, Brandon is, um, talking about what KPIs you have with your clients. So mm-hmm. if you have clients that, that come in and they sign up, what are the main KPIs that you're targeting when, uh, like how is success defined yeah. between you and your clients? It's a fantastic question. So at the top of the funnel, the KPIs are a little bit less about conversion and more about reach and frequency. Right, which is more of a branding play. Branding play, yeah. So, um, and then as you move down the funnel, obviously to like site retargeting, um, mm-hmm. that's more of like a, you're, quote unquote, direct response, you're trying to drive an influence conversion or show lifting mm-hmm. conversion by targeting people that may have shown an interest in your brand by going to the website and, you know, viewing some products. Yeah. So. Yeah. Cause I mean, ultimately, I mean, you could be doing it for brand, for brand awareness, but if brand awareness is your goal, in my opinion, in most cases, you're throwing money away. Right. Cause yeah. how do you, how do you track brand awareness? Still, we've asked that to guests in the past. Like, and generally it's like bigger companies who have, I mean, you look at a jazz game, for example, like there's banners everywhere. There's no way for them to tie like a direct number of, oh yeah, we ran these uh, ads that play and Vivint, I was going to say Vivint Energy Solutions, but Vivint's, wow. Vivint Smart Home Arena. Yeah, or like Zines Bank or Yeah, or stuff whatever. like that. At Zines everywhere. Bank, we had someone from Zines Bank and I asked like, well, how do you measure that? And, and 
And, we, and I've asked that question to several people who are like in branding. And it's like, well, we kind of don't. just look at like, are we spending more money here and our sales kind of going up? Yeah, I think it might be working, but there's so many variables. And I think that's because you and I think very like tie it back to a specific metric. Yeah. Well, branding, what they, they do don't think they, that way. They, they do surveys, right? So every year, or every quarter or whatever, they survey a certain number of people to, to determine what their uh, unaided brand awareness is or aided brand awareness, right? That, that's, that's, that's why you never go into, into brand stuff. Anyway, so uh, coming back to this funnel, right? Sure. Where would you say the majority of your clients fall? Towards the f- top of the funnel for like the brand awareness stuff or closer to the bottom where it's a little bit more direct response and tying it back to a conversion? Sure. So typically we're going to optimize for an event that's valuable to the advertiser, right? And we're going to have one real return goal. Um, that could be like a lead or a sale or something. And, but we're going to re- deploy like a full funnel solution. So we want to fertilize the top of the funnel. We want to contribute value to the top. We want to add yeah. new people to the process as well as nurture people through the process and then convert them. And then on the backside, if it's a retailer that has a product, we want to upsell people and retain people as well. So, um, so there's going to be the, the main KPI for the campaign obviously is going to be that end all tell all action, you know, a cost per lead, which is ad spend divided by the actions, right? Um, but then we have micro, um, you know, conversion events along the way. You know, how many website visitors did we get? How many eyeballs were we in front of? And, you know. Okay. What about the process uh, to find, like, how do you guys get new clients? Sure. What's your sales process? Sure. Do you have a sales team? Is it inbound? Is it outbound? Like, where are, where, where are most of your clients coming from? Sure. We have a revenue team. So we have, uh, you know, um, uh, lead generators, sales, and account managers all share, like, a, a commission rather than um, you know, organizations that have a salesperson that gets all the commissions. So, um, and you know what, the lead generator will go out and find um, you know, qualified prospects, hand those over to the, account ma- the salesperson, and the salesperson will close those, and then the account manager will then retain and upsell the business ongoing. And all three of those teams take, take a portion of the commission. They share the commission, yes. Interesting. So uh, is it evenly split? Yes. It is, okay. So the account manager themselves, who's on the day-to-day with the client, they're, they're uh, I, mean, I mean, is it a one-time thing or is there like you retain them for six months or they renew or, or whatever, it kind of renews their commission? How does that work? Yeah, we have a 40-hour out clause on most campaigns. Okay. And if you don't want to work with this and we're not meeting your actions, by all means, we don't want to take your money. We want you to spend your money where it makes the most sense for yeah. your business. And so, um, so the account manager needs to obviously continue to quantify the return. And then through that, um, you know, they can acquire more ad budget if we're hitting those specific goals. And how do you charge your clients? Is it is it uh, performance based or is it percentage of spend? What's your fee? Ultimately, the client has to assume the media spend risk. We charge on a CPM, a cost you know a cost per thousand ad impressions. Yeah. But everything's backed into a very rigid return goal. So if it, it's it's a it's a case by case basis. So if a client has a very specific goal and and they, and they say you cannot spend any money beyond this goal, then we do not. Or a client says we have a budget, we have to spend it be aware of this goal. So it's really just like that real, um, you know, interactive, uh, you know, ongoing partnership. So. And so. does agility have like a minimum spend? Like, or, well, I guess well, we'll start with that question. Is there a minimum spend that you guys have with your clients? Like you need to be spending at least this much a month for it to be worth it. Cause I've talked in the sure. past to a programmatic and you know, something like Google or Facebook, you can start very small and get like a micro test, right? Like a hundred bucks and just kind of see what happens. Seems like with programmatic advertising, you, you have to have a much bigger budget and a little bit more 
runway to see results. Would you say that's accurate? Absolutely. Uh, like magical things will happen at about a million impressions a month. And a million impressions is a, you know, roughly 3,500 bucks. Um, beyond that, it's, uh, it, it's hard to optimize. It takes a long time. Um, so the barrier of entry is a little bit different than, than I'd say like Facebook, where you can just put like $5 in the machine and go, right? Yeah. And is there like a number that is there like a standard number in the industry? Like you should be spending at least 2,500 a month or 5,000 a month, or does that number vary depending on who the client is? Yeah. We look at perc percentage of, um, overall ad spend and that c continues just to you know, increase over time. People okay. are putting more and more money towards programmatic as the channel becomes, you know, more valuable. Can you tell us what, uh, what the average monthly spend is of your clients? Sure. Um, gosh, you know, we have clients to spend up into the six figures and clients to spend like, you know, just like a few thousand dollars. So I think our average deal size is like 5,700. So they're spending about 5,700 in ad spend per month in programmatic. Mm -hmm. And, and what kind what's like, what's a good return on that? Sure. Um, a straight website action for retargeting. I mean, could be a, uh, you know, maybe a 10 to $20 uh, per conversion. Um, it depends, you know, really what the KPI is, you know, some clients, it takes $1,200 to get a lead. Yeah. You know, it just depends what the return is. No, right? so. I, no, I get that. I work at Vivin, man. Costs us a lot. <laughs> uh, well, one of the big, one of the big appeals, like, I guess going back to, in my mind, like the more we can kind of contrast it with something like Facebook, which is super well known. I, I imagine a lot of our listeners have, or do run, you know, Facebook ads, Google ads. So it's kind of easy to like, okay, let's compare it to this. One of the appeals of Facebook, especially is the targeting, right? Sure. Versus Facebook knows virtually everything about that user. And so to advertisers like us, it's very interesting because it's like we, we can go after off of age, off of interest and whatnot. The advantage that, um, well, I guess how does programmatic compare? Like, I guess what, in, when you're in that sales pitch with someone and, and they're saying, well, we know exactly who our audience is and all this. Uh, what's kind of your response with programmatic as far as like the advantage over the targeting that something like Facebook has? Sure. Um, we'll match the goal back to the tactic. The tactic mm -hmm. is the audience that we build online for them to target. And there's so many different ways to build an online audience in the programmatic space. You can use like a third party data segment, like a blue Kai or an Excelate or one mm -hmm. of those data providers, um, that aggregate data about people and what they do and their actions. Um, you can do search retargeting, so you can take search events um, okay. from search engines, tier one search engines and searches across other pub publishers and target people against those as well. You can target contextually relevant um, content. Um, you can target uh, people based on their location. Geofencing is kind of the hot new thing in our space mm -hmm. is actually like taking people's physical locations and building real time audiences online. I got you. Um, so if people go to a, a concert or an event or something, or you can actually grab all those people um, and, uh, you know, so for example, if I'm, I live in Utah, my profile say I live in Utah, but I'm in Las Vegas for the weekend. I can see ads from a pizza shop in Las Vegas that be, because it knows that I'm physically there. So that kind of exactly. example. So yeah, you walk into the geofence. These geofences can, can get down to like two and a half inches in accuracy. So we can like oh. literally grab audience from a strip mall, you know, or wherever, yeah. um, you know, and you know, based on people's, you know, just real time location. And then as we grab people, we can then timestamp that data as we collect it in our data warehouse. And then we can target using recency. So if I want to target people that drink coffee for Starbucks, I can 
draw a fence around beans and brew and get all the beans and brew customers mm. and serve them Starbucks ads. Um, you know, um, so at, while they're at, in the fence and after the person leaves the fence for whatever determined time, yeah, it, 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 you set that recency window for. Okay, um, that's interesting to me. What geofencing? Well, yeah. So l- let me let me present to you, and I. So my brother lives in Las Vegas. He's an attorney. Uh, he he was doing he was doing some geofencing stuff. I don't know a year or two ago. Uh, let me tell you what he did, and you you give me your please your response to this. So he's a personal injury attorney, and uh, he started geofencing ERs, so emergency rooms. And anyone who's within the uh, the geofence in the ER who is searching car crash related injury things like that, he would sh- he would have his ad show up. Uh, he told me later that it didn't really work that well. I we didn't get that much into it, but based on the information that I have, which I just gave to you, uh, do you think that that is something that would be effective? How could he do it differently? Uh, what are some other options? And like I said, this is two, two, two years ago. What are the things that he How, could do as a personal injury attorney? What were the size of the geofences? Was it, was it, was it an entire area? Or was well, it? you think about, I mean, usually ERs are at a hospital, right? And they're like a wing or whatever. So if mm-hmm. it's, um, I mean, it's just around whatever. Okay, just the, the hospital. The strict, yeah, the, the hospital. Or if it was like a wing and they knew that this was the wing where the ER was, they would they would draw the fence around the sure. around the building itself. but. Um, as far as I know, it was it was restricted to the building itself. Okay, um, we've, we've actually ran that exact same play for someone before. We Interesting. Fa- we found that ERs are not the best place to find audience. There's just too much traffic, so there's too much contamination. Meaning, meaning, yeah, there are people in the ER, Foot but there are also tons of other people there doing other things. Exactly. Okay. The best scenario that we found in that industry is uh, collision and repair shops, because oh. the car goes right there after the accident. Yeah. Um, and so there's all these like little nuances, right? That we've been learning with the geofencing. It's um, it's a really undefined technology, but it's uh, it's it's definitely the next the next thing in terms of building like very strategic audiences. The best case um, use case we have is for B two B advertising. Um, so w- when a, a when there's a B two B play, um, typically what happens is there's somebody in an organization that makes a decision to buy something, right? And that's usually a very specific person in a very specific role. And it's really hard to reach that person. If you, you know, even if you wanted to like, you know, geofence their office building, you're still only like, you're looking for one person. And so there's no data segments out there that say, Hey, here's all the HR people. And, um, or, or there's no rich, good data about that. So what we've done is we're starting to draw geofences around like trade shows and events that are very specific to an industry because that's where all the decision makers are actually going. So like an HR conference, all the HR people are in this building right now during this two or three days that this conference is going on. If we want to target HR people, that's where we got to be. Exactly. Okay. Interesting. I do have, um, one thing I've been wondering as we, as we've been talking about this programmatic is one small portion of marketing, right? And you have companies out there spending money on Facebook, on Google ads, on LinkedIn in some cases, uh, when you're talking to someone who's who's got their money everywhere, are you trying to divert their budget from another platform to you, or are you trying to get them to add programmatic to their repertoire of uh, strategies that they're employing in their company? Does that make sense? Absolutely. Like where do, where does it fit in the marketing? It's, yeah, it's it's a case by case basis. If you come to me and say, "Hey, I've got this marketing budget," 
but I don't have any channels running yet. I'm gonna say, okay, start with the basics. Start with the Google AdWords. Start with the fa- you know the Facebook campaigns. Yeah. So there are instances where you're like, uh, programmatic is you're not you're not there yet. Yeah, exactly. Okay, that's interesting. And uh, so, at what point should people start thinking about programmatic? What sure. should they be doing first? Sure. Google AdWords, obviously, the the most basic things um, that are proven. Uh, you know, f- Facebook, Facebook Media. Um, if you're a retailer, you know, an, aff- a, a, an affiliate program, an email marketing engine. To you know, obviously, to acquire and retain customers. I mean, all those really basic things you need, you need to do to have a, like a, a good online foundation. Okay, so you're you're telling people you should have the foundation. Programmatic is not part of the foundation. Is that what you're saying? The basic, so the walled gardens, right? The, you know, like the real proven platforms, the yeah. YouTube and the, you know, AdWords and Facebook. I mean, you, those should be well optimized and mature. We're the touch point in between. I mean, we can create value outside, but I mean, it's, I would start with the, with the most proven things first. Do you find that uh, when people do the more basic things and you sit down with them and you say, hey, tell me what works, what doesn't work? And they're like, oh, Facebook doesn't seem to work, but Google Ads seems to work. Is that helpful when you come in to create or plan out a programmatic strategy knowing what works and what doesn't work for their business or their industry? Sure. What we're really good at is taking like a holistic approach to someone's you know, digital strategy online. So we're going to c- conduct a needs analysis and understand every channel they're using and how we've bolt on to what they're doing and how we can actually measure that and show lift and value in what we're doing. Um, so... Okay, interesting. I had one question. Um, I guess a kind of a part two. So, one of the we talked about the appeals of targeting, right, with with Facebook and stuff like that. Another appeal, and I imagine this this is maybe a big concern you get in the sales process, mm-hmm. um, is the the mindset of, uh, and it's kind of one I've had with like KSL. Like I've I've talked to them before. Like with Facebook, it's nice to know. Like when I drop five thousand dollars. I'm paying the $5,000 when people actually click on my ad, right? Whether or not those are good clicks is a debatable, right? Sure. Um, whereas, you know, CPM, cost per impression, stuff like that, they'll charge me an upfront amount. And it's like, yeah, you're going to get, you know, roughly 18,000 impressions on this ad. Uh, but then I don't know, like, are people, there's a difference between like impressions and then like, are the eyeballs actually paying attention to my ad? So it's kind of a scary site. I would imagine for more so for younger companies with tighter budgets than bigger companies um, of like, man, programmatic is so risky because what if I'm paying for all these impressions, but no one's actually looking at my ad, they're just scrolling past it or it's in the corner. Whereas when I spend money on, on, on Google ads, like I'm paying when they click on my search ad or I'm paying for this. I mean, there's cost per impression options in there sure, as well, but is there a, a response or is there a response you have to that? or some way to clear that up of, of something that they're missing in that picture, or maybe they're thinking about it the wrong way. Sure. Viewability is a major pain point in our industry, and that kind of goes back into the thing I was talking about earlier about clicks. You should optimize for viewability, not click-through rate. So you should be using a third-party technology to actually govern that. If I'm the, I'm the vendor and you're the advertiser and you're spending money with me, mm-hmm. we should have somebody governing our relationship, saying, okay, like we're gonna optimize towards a you know, a 70% view, viewability rate. Mm-hmm. We use a third party technology to do that called Moat. And it's like an extra two cent, two penny CPM on top of the media buy that says, hey, this percentage of ads we served is at, were actually viewable. And if you're not using that, you're probably getting your eyeballs gouged out. Hmm. I mean, or, or you potentially could be. Um, 
you know, we, we have, we have clients that opt out of that and, you know, don't really care about that, but uh -huh. it's, um, it's something we try and educate people with, you know, it's, 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 it's pretty important. So you're saying moat is this add on that actually is able to like, is able to tell if they actually saw the ad or if it was just like, and how, how, how does moat yeah, Mo actually do that? Moat will wrap some technology in the ad framework that will actually, sh you know, grab a screenshot of every ad that's served. And it can tell if the ad was like stacked or layered behind other ads oh, or if it I was gotcha. like below the fold yeah, or, you know, uh -huh. or whatever, right? And you can tell if that was actually viewable. Is and that, I, is that different than impression? I mean, isn't that what, what sure. impression means is that they saw the ad? No, it actually doesn't it means the ad was just, they, that was fired on the publisher page. It doesn't mean anything else. Meaning, meaning they don't have to scroll down to like, if it was loaded below the fold and they didn't go below the fold, that still counts as an impression. They, they still pay for it. But Mo, if they never scroll down to the bottom of the article where the ad was, it would say, nope, that does not count yep. as an actual impression. Interesting. 50% of the ad has to be viewable for one second or more. Mm. And well, and how like, do you know, do you have a stat on hand? Like how, I mean, it's, I would imagine it's becoming less common, but in terms of either unintentional bad design or intentional trying to, you know, deceive publishers, but like people purposely putting ads behind layers so that they're getting credit, but then that it's, it's not affecting the user experience, which I'm sure is against the guidelines of every publishing platform, mm -hmm. but people try that. Is that still a thing? I remember the early Google AdSense day. It was all about trying to game the system of like hiding ads, but it's still, you still get the, the yeah, you impressions would know a lot about that. Wouldn't you? Yes. Brian? I, yeah, I was a band for a while, but <laughs> I, I do you know if that's still like a common thing of like, Oh, we estimated 16% of sites still are displaying ads wrong or they're layering them incorrectly. Is there, are there any insights on that with like studies that you've seen? You know, I haven't seen any like any studies exactly on that, but inventory integrity is a really big piece of the ecosystem. Now and there's a lot of vendors out there like double verify and moat. And there's mm -hmm. so many more that just are that you should be laying into your campaigns um, gotcha. to, to better understand like the quality of, your, of the media that you're buying. And there's so many technologies out there that you can buy to help understand the technology, you know, your, 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 the quality of the ad inventory that you're buying. Mm -hmm. What, uh, last question before we move on to, uh, roulette. If there was one thing that you wanted to impart on people about programmatic, just one thing that, that you want to leave with them, one thought, what would it be? Sure. Um, probably connected TV and the way in which linear TV ads, are currently being served and the way that they're going to be served in the future and to have a mindset towards moving their TV dollars to digital. 48% um, of people have completely cut the cord and that's climbing all the time. And there's this same ecosystem. When you're saying, sorry, when you say cut the cord, are you saying they, they're not watching TV anymore? They love TV, probably watching more TV than ever, but they, they don't have a cable subscription. Right. Okay. So, so they're moving to Netflix or Hulu or yeah. Amazon prime or whatever. Yes. Okay. So that's what you mean by cutting the cord. So tons and tons of people are going away from cable and you're saying you still need to capture those people. So stop wasting your money on TV advertising and move it to digital. Yeah, they're still watching TV and we're still going to serve them TV ads, but the TV ads are going to be more targeted. Like on YouTube TV or something like that. Exactly. Okay. Um, and so right now, like you have to buy a TV commercial during a designated time and you just kind of, uh, you know, throwing darts. And, you know, with uh, programmatic, you can actually target a very specific audience 
on their connected TV. So you can take a website visit or a website abandoner and you can actually target somebody on a connected TV with a digital ad when that person is watching it, you know, and you know, it's, 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 the, the space is really moving that way. And honestly, this is like, this is like Christmas for advertisers, right? Because there was a time when you would do advertising on TV and you would get no tracking whatsoever, none. Mm -hmm. And you would have no idea how to measure that. Yeah. With digital TV, with people watching on these, these other platforms, it's, it's just as trackable as if they come to your website. Exactly, right? There's all these archaic metrics they're using to measure TV, like GRPs, you know, gross rating points and TRPs, yeah. to total rating points. Um, and in digital, you can literally, like you said, use a conversion pixel. You can look at completion rates. You can look at viewability. I mean, there's so many things you can actually look at to quantify your TV by. And right now, people are just throwing millions and millions of dollars at TV and they have no idea what, like, what it's really doing. Yeah. It's, it's, it's mind boggling. Yeah, yeah, true that, especially you know, talking about this right after the Super Bowl when people are paying $5 million for a 30-second spot. Yeah. <laughs> I told you that was the last question, but I actually have one more because at the very beginning, we talked about what programmatic was like nine years ago. I want you to tell me what, how you predict programmatic will be in nine years from now. Sure. Let's see here. Um, there'll be more accountability in our space. Um, you know, some in, in what way? Like accountability to the advertisers or to the websites displaying the ads or what to the advertisers they're, they're actually buying the media okay. um you know there'll be accountability in terms of um you know uh click fraud and click bots and you know that stuff is going to be completely eradicated with time it's just it's just a matter of time interesting um, so you don't think the bots will get smarter potentially they could bot war yeah bots against bots yeah totally Okay, so accountability, that's that you think that's gonna be like the biggest thing? Sure, yeah, um, and then um, smarter optimization, you know. Um, optim so targeting, like being able to target uh, your demographic to a more narrow scope? Yeah, or like uh, optimizing an ad campaign um, simultaneously with other campaigns, with like a attribution tool that's looking at all the different touch points and all the different players yeah. along the way and uh, taking all those other touch points into consideration. Cool, yeah, sounds like there's a bright future for programmatic. Cool, well, let's transition over to digital marketing roulette. Brandon, are you keyed up on that? Let me, uh, let me pull out the table here. Yeah, so if, if this is the first time you're listening, Digital Marketing Roulette is, uh, Brandon's pulling out our roulette table. Yes. Brandon's pulling out our roulette table. Testing the ball here. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we are going to roll the ball. It's gonna land on a number. This is kind of, the roulette table acts as a random number generator. And we have uh, corresponding questions with whichever number it lands on. And then uh, Brandon will throw out the question and Kenny, you'll be the you'll be the first one to answer, and then uh, if it's an interesting question, maybe I'll participate too. Cool. <laughs> oh, you always participate. All right, number eight. Number eight. Yes, lucky number eight. Mm. Mm. All right. Uh, let's see. So, question here: What area of marketing outside of programmatic advertising? You can't use that because we talked about it. Outside of that, what area of marketing are you most passionate about right now? Even if you're just getting into it or you're just starting to get a little more interest in it, is there a certain area of marketing where you're like, I'm really digging this? 
like SEO or something? Oh, attribution, marketing measurement. How, and like, well, I guess describe more of that then. Um, multi-touch attribution, the ability to um, weigh attribution to a specific action across multiple channels. So if there's a touch point from an email, a, mm -hmm. a, a Google ad, a banner ad, you know, we can distribute attribution across all those channels and better understand like the, the cadence in which we're, we're driving the actions. Pathway. The pathway. Yeah. Okay, so attribution modeling. Attribution. Is there certain softwares, tools you like to use? Sure. Like is Google Analytics a good software for that or is it pretty limited in, because I know they have, I've seen like in the gold section, they have kind of multi-channel type stuff. I don't know if that's very limited compared to what other softwares can do sure. from your experience, but. Yeah, um, GA is, uh, is very limiting and it's, and it's actually not a measurement tool. So if anyone that's using that to measure their marketing efforts, they're not gonna be able to scale their business because it's looking at everything um, um, as a last touch. So if you've got a multimedia strategy running and you've got 20 channels, mm -hmm. um, everyone's working really hard to like push that person to, to, to drive the, the end action and the last person to, to serve an ad or touch that person, it's 100% credit for everything else that every other channel has done along the way. You'll have no insight into what you're doing and you just can't scale. Sweet. Which, which means a ton of your uh, potential customers could be hitting the blog before they click on an ad and convert. But if you're on an exclusively last touch attribution model, your blog won't seem as powerful as it really is. Yep. Makes sense. What about you, Jacob? I've, I got to ask. Meaning if uh, what else besides programmatic? Yes. What, besides programmatic, what is there an area right now? You're just like, I'm having a lot of fun doing this. Is there an area right now? Uh, yeah, uh, actually right now, um, we're doing a lot of topical analysis in our keyword research. So historically, we've done a lot of uh, TFIDF, right? Term frequency inverse document frequency in our keyword research, which gives you insights down to a very granular level of um, the word itself. Mm -hmm. uh, topical analysis, we're using a platform right now called Market Muse, and it's, pr it's, it's pretty cool. Uh, you, you type in a, a keyword or a phrase and it goes and scrapes the top 20 results for that specific query and it pulls in all the uh, topics. So you also put in like your URL to, mm -hmm. to compare it to and it'll pull in all the topics that, uh, that it deems Google uh, deems as important. Uh -huh. And and where you're lacking. It'll give you what questions you're not answering that, that people are asking about that specific topic. It'll give you, um, uh, it'll even give you uh, linking recommendations, like where you, should, where you should link internally, externally, things like that. And then it, uh, one, of the, one of the best features is actually, it, it writes up a, a content brief uh, for you so that you can basically hand it directly to the writer and say, here's how we need to optimize this page. Very interesting. Is it? It is. Is it interesting? Exciting. <laughs> what about you? <clears throat> Mine's the lamest answer. Uh, probably right now it's just a lot of email. Yeah, you're right. Stuff. That's lame. Next question. Testing uh, headlines and whatnot. Uh, yeah, next question. What, what platform are you using? ConvertKit. ConvertKit? Yeah. Never heard of it. Uh, really? We were using Pardot. You heard of that? I have heard of Pardot. I hate Pardot. Pardot is a clunky mess that Salesforce I used to, bought. I used to use um, HubSpot to do all my email. 
Oh, look, the HubSpot's nice. So ConvertKit, the big benefit, I think, or the big advantage, and you can do this technically anything, but ConvertKit's is very uh, text-based. You can do HTML stuff like uh, MailChimp, you know, making pretty emails, but I've just read a lot of research where text-based emails perform better, and they also get caught by spam filters at a much lower rate. Um, but we've been testing it. We went from Pardot, which is pretty HTML emails, uh, at Dev Mountain, and now we're doing text-based, and the open rates are are much higher, and then the click-through rates, like people are actually just because we just keep them short and to the point, and uh, we we try to keep them like coming from a person or whatnot, so it just feels a lot more personal when it's just like, hey Jacob, I saw you signed up for this, and we wanted to follow up and see how things are going, whatever, and when you do that in an HTML email, you get the the pretty picture at the top, like it just feels like this was part of an email blast, mm. uh, whereas text makes you think at least just for a couple seconds oh someone actually you know jenny at dev mountain just wrote me an email oh never mind but they, they already got through 75 percent of the message before they realized oh this is just an email that was sent out but <laughs> and 75 percent is enough yeah well it, the, the stats are showing like we're getting way more clicks to our website more conversions and stuff like that just doing text and it's also nice for us like way less crap to break we don't have to worry about what photo is going to go with what email and making sure the buttons are operating correctly. It's just, is that where, is that, does it also act as a, a database for all your contacts? Uh, it can, I mean, it's just the standard, like what tags they have and it's, it's tag based. That's the other big advantage is MailChimp is list based. Uh, whereas you as a person will just, as you keep interacting with stuff on our website, uh, we have automations firing that adds tags like, Oh, Jacob downloaded this. He downloaded this. He visited this page. And then those tags make up profiles that we can start saying once they meet this type of profile, start sending these types of emails. All right. Uh, I guess that it's was cool. more interesting than I thought it would be. Yeah. You made it interesting. Cause yes, but convert kit, I guess I'm a little, really passionate about convert kit convert kit right now. All right. Let's go to the next question. Here we go. Do you guys do a lot of email? Oh yeah. Yeah. And what platform do you use? Oh, do I dare say? I don't know. MailChimp. Oh, you do use MailChimp. Okay. I, I think MailChimp's great. It, it has a, a tie into our CRM and we're kind of stuck, but I think there's some definitely some more robust solutions out there that we'd like to entertain. Yeah, totally. MailChimp's come a long way. That was number 30, Ooh. by the chance. Or not by the chance, by the way. Uh, all right. We'll start with you again. Uh, favorite source of marketing news or inspiration? Where do you go? to get your marketing news or your case studies. It could be someone on Twitter. It could be a magazine online. Where's like your go-to place when you're like, I need to learn a little bit more. Sure. Get some inspiration. Sure. Um, gosh, I follow all kinds of um, newsletters like Adweek. Okay. Good one, yeah. Adweek's good one. Yeah. Is that your favorite one? Uh, this week it is. This week. <laughs> that works. I like Adweek. Adweek, I, I, I go through ups and downs with Adweek. Because sometimes I think they publish a lot of crap articles, and then every now and then they have a good home run. But it's also yeah, it's not they're not as digital focused. That could be why, because like I'm very digital. Sure. Uh, but it's also nice because it's it's good to look outside the digital world and see what Coke is doing. Sure. By the way, this is slightly off topic, but did you guys see the campaign that Burger King recently did with Andy Warhol? Uh, That's their Super Bowl. The geofencing one? No, it's with like mm. the tweets that they liked with influencers. No. Oh, you're going to love this. This is worth the, the delay here. And we, if we have to sacrifice a question, that's fine. But what they did, 
So it started with Casey Neistat. You guys are familiar with yeah, Casey Neistat, or a, a Utah native? Is yes. he? No, he's New York. He's he's a huge YouTuber. I thought he I thought he got to start here. Casey Neistat? No, he's always been in New York. Yeah, what do you know about Casey Neistat? <laughs> I follow the guy forever. Oh, All right. New anyway, York. one of the biggest YouTubers, Casey Neistat, he noticed that his tweets from like 2009 were like Burger King went and liked three of his tweets in a row from and they, they meant nothing. So he, he took a screenshot and he posted on his Twitter like, why is Burger King going through my old tweets and like liking them? And then there were some other you know influencers who had the same thing. They're like, yeah, I'm like Burger King liked a bunch of my old tweets. Like, oh, and they're making fun of Burger King. Like they're behind the times or like uh, they're thinking maybe it's a bot or whatnot. Well, then these articles start coming out saying, here's why Burger King's liking everyone's old tweets. And the pattern was that they were always like, I think it was like the year 2009, they were liking all these random tweets. And it's because Burger King is getting ready to launch like their funnel cakes or relaunch, like they're bringing them back some product that was launched in 2009. So they, they basically like baited all of these influencers to talk about Burger King and why is Burger King liking their old tweets. And then the articles come out where it's like, it's because Burger King is introducing this. And now, and then all the influencers then give the explanation. It's, oh, it's because of this. So they basically just leverage like tons of huge social accounts completely free to market their product that they're bringing back, which is pretty genius, I think. What do you think? Uh, yeah, I always, I always love when brands... Um, I mean, it's a gamble because you could just be liking tweets and no one says anything. But like, well, that's free too. Sure. I mean, it's not like there's. Well, they they can like his tweets and no one ever sees that. It's like, well, that campaign they were banking on. We're gonna like tweets so old from this year that they're they're gonna talk about it to their followers. Uh, I don't know. It was interesting. Uh, yeah, it's yeah. That's that's a weird one that like it comes out of left field. Like, who's thinking about who's who's like that's. Who I mean, that's why it's that. so fascinating. Like, it was it didn't just like work out that way. That was the plan from the beginning. And it worked out exactly how they hoped it would. I don't know. Yeah, not all their campaigns work, though. Where do you go for your news? Inbound, rest in peace. So you're not going to inbound.org. I don't go to inbound. No, I... Uh, follow me? You get it all from me? <laughs> no, I, I actually... I It's close to that. Most of my stuff comes from the people around me. Like, all, all uh, as I'm talking to people. So, Market Muse is a good example of that, where... I had never heard of Market Muse, and the way I, I found out about them was kind of, kind of I, I've never this has never happened to me before, but I got an email from uh, an agency Brafton. So Brafton is a I want to say it's like a digital marketing agency. They're pretty big. They're out of New York City, and I got an email from one of their content marketers who said something like like the the subject line was get your your page to rank within 60 seconds which sounds super spammy right like how does that work but it was enough to get me to read it and there was a video in her email and i watched the video and it was a little misleading not the video but the the subject line but basically the video was like if you do this topical analysis figure out what topics are being talked about in the top 10 mm -hmm. and then put all those topics in your one article. Theoretically, your article now is the most comprehensive one out of all the 10. So the video showed uh, they had a blog post that was ranking number three for some keyword and they did this analysis, plugged in all the topics, answered all the questions, and then 
the 60 seconds started when they took the newly published blog post URL, plugged it into sites. Uh, um, what the heck is the new webmaster tools? Uh, search console. S yeah, search console. Uh, they plug it in a search console, uh, uh, have Google fetch it and crawl it, and then 60 seconds later, the rankings went from three to one, right? So that's mm -hmm. the 60 seconds. Well, I reached back out to this chick. Uh, she, she was Brafton. Her email signature said content marketer. And I was like, sweet. Like, this isn't a salesperson who's reaching out to me. It's just like some content marketer. So I responded and I said, hey, I'm actually interested in, in, in chatting about this. Let's hop on a call. She gets back to me and she's like, oh, uh, I've actually CC'd our business development, blah, blah, blah. Basically our salesperson. She'll be, be able to answer all your questions. And I was pissed. I was like, holy sure. cow. That was, that's total bait and switch. Like, I didn't want to talk to your salesperson. I wanted to talk to the content marketer. I want to talk to someone on the marketing team. So the sales, uh, the salesperson responded like, hey, uh, yeah, let's set up a time to get on a phone call. And I was like, no, I don't want to talk to you. I want to talk to, Je I don't remember her name, Jessica or Rachel or something like that. Well, well she responded back and she was like, uh, I really, I'm not the best person to talk to. And I was like, okay, well, I did a little bit of research and found that their director of strategy over marketing was Jeff something or other, Jeff Baker, who's actually a huge contributor on the Moz blog. Hmm. And uh, I was like, get me on the phone with this, with this guy. And they're like, okay. So I got on a phone with, I got on the phone with Jeff Baker and, and he walked me through the process. Like I didn't have to pay Brafton for the information. It was just like two marketers shooting the shiz on, on a phone call and, uh, and he's the one who told me about market muse and the whole topical mm. analysis stuff. So that's where I prefer it is, is from people who are doing it. Uh, most of the publications, even ad week, it's, it, it usually seems surface level where you kind of have to, like they may give you some directional information and you kind of have to go track down the other, the other mm -hmm. bit, even search engine land and stuff like that, yeah. where it's like more, more news rather than tactical, how you do certain things. Sure. That's my preference is, is finding the people who are really really smart and come up with the they're the ones who are writing the articles and they're the ones who are actually doing the work and being innovative and i like talking to them directly and, and just saying hey let me pick your brain cool i like it's a it more work and sticks more it's more quality it's true it's true anyway we're actually out of time so uh kenny thank you so much for being on the show man that's You're welcome. awesome yeah, thank i don't thank i don't think we've ever talked programmatic before we've First. talked paid search quite a bit uh, this is first time we've talked programmatic. Uh, it likely won't be the last. It's a pretty complicated thing, and if it's got as bright of a future as you're painting, uh, we'll probably have have more uh, more to talk about on programmatic. If you have enjoyed this episode, we invite you to leave a positive review on iTunes or any other podcasting platform that you listen on. Uh, if you want to reach out, you're welcome to shoot us an email. Our email is inbound at belowthefold.io, and uh, that's it. Until next week, we'll catch you below the fold. That's a wrap. <laughs>